Frost! That's right, people, and welcome to the very first episode of Films for Amigos. Today's topic of discussion is the movies we used to stay up for, the year 1998, the film Blade. My name is Ben, and joining myself today is Sam, Big Dan, and the Amigo himself, Francis Lee. Just a house notice, this podcast will include strong language and references to violence, so adults only from this point on. So welcome everybody to the first episode of Films with Amigos. Today there's myself, Sam, and we've also got Ben. Hello. Fran. Yeah. And Dan. Hello. Or affectionately known as Big Dan to those closest to him. So, Ben, uh, for everybody listening, kick off. What what does it mean when we when we set the theme of films we used to stay up for? All right, so before the days um, of Netflix and Amazon, we were stuck with terrestrial TV, channels one to five here in the UK. And these are, these are the nine o'clock films where uh, parents used to let us stay up and watch it to the end. And these are, these are the films we wanted to watch. Yeah, so typically for for uh, for us four, this is going to be films from the uh, 80s and 90s, occasionally some from the 70s, and we'd have been watching these during the 90s into the early 2000s. Um, some people in this podcast are slightly older, but I'll not I'll not draw any names out. <laughs> <laughs> so, film number one that we chose to kick off, 1998. Blade, the vampire epic. And we're going to kick <laughs> off by talking about the plot. And no one sums up the plot better than Blade himself when he says, the world you live in is just a sugar-coated topping. There's a real world beneath it. And that world is full of vampires. <laughs> so if you take this world as a, as a premise, we've got humans and vampires. We've got our hero, Blade. We can go into some detail about him. We've got our villain, Deacon Frost. And essentially, what this film centres around is Frost's attempt to cause the vampire apocalypse. that broad enough? Wrap it up? I think so. Yeah, yep, that's no, good. good. Yeah, Summon the apocalypse with the blood god, yeah. It's a good start. Yeah. So as an overarching story, it's got it's got the classic uh, comic book balance, hasn't it? Hero, villain. Um, villain's got a clear end goal. The hero's job is to thwart that plan. If I remember yeah. correctly, though, from the beginning, there's no. There's no Marvel logo, is there? It's just mentioned that it's based on Marvel characters. Yeah, I didn't even realise it was Marvel to begin with. I didn't realise that was uh, Blade was part of this, so I've been been tricked. I've been tricked. <laughs> Dan, you should know. I've been like, you know, MCU guy. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty disappointing from the MCU specialist. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Sense the sarcasm. I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because... Um, if you're not if you're not into comic book world, at a first glance, this is never going to be a film that you would assume um, a classic like, comic book film. Yeah, considering comic origins, the the age rating and the uh, 
the general tones and, and language used throughout is quite flavourful. Yeah. Is it it's, it's kinda of like an origin film before the typical origin film kinda of came out, isn't it? It's not like a, a lot of the comic book origin films now follow a certain suit, but this literally sets it up with that opening scene and then it's yeah, just very, like straight into the film. It's very quickly established who he is. Just for that yeah. little yeah, scene from him being born essentially it's uh, uh the hospital. Quickly done, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, because there's almost two stories running parallel, isn't there? There's a story about Frost uh, making his move in vampire ranks and trying to trying to uh, get a blood god. Um, but then there's also the the parallel story about Blade, where he's trying to seek out his own origin of how he became spoiler alert half human half vampire. The Daywalker. The Daywalker. So you, you get you get two stories, and I think I think both of them um, have equal strength during the film. I don't think there's a I don't think um, either either one's boring. I think both of them are quite interesting, and obviously then the later twists of them being intertwined all comes out to play. Mm-hmm. Is he actually actively seeking out to establish who he is, or is that just? Is he trying? Well, later on, when he's when he's talking to Karen, the doctor, yeah. he says a key line of, um, he says, um, he's been trying to find the monster that killed his mother. Right. So I just assume that his entire crusade is about that. Yeah, he also mentions about every vampire kill or something brings him closer to close to that, but also. Um, Something about him like getting back to normality um, or the life that he used to know. He gives him a piece of that life back, which is weird because it's not like he had that. No, life he's, before, he's never he, known that. You know, he, he, no, exactly. He was a baby. I mean, if you were, if you wanted to get into technicalities as well, he has a lot of flashbacks to his mum, like reaching up from the hospital bed at him. But you know, he was a baby. Yeah. So I, I assume that one of his vampire powers is super memory. <laughs> All their strengths and none of their weaknesses, and yeah, that's one of them. Just being able to look back at when you were yeah. two minutes old, they can remember. <laughs> so before we before we move on to uh, on to, I guess we could we could follow this into our favourite scenes. Is there anything else just about the about the plot that anybody wants to wants to raise? Um, no, you mentioned it earlier about the the plots running parallel. So I think there's a good, like a good amount throughout the story of just explaining what Whistler and Blade are doing and why they where they are in the city and um, how they've come to build their organisation. Even though it's only a, a two man band, but um, but yeah, I think it's good. Yeah, in terms of like the um, the the plotting and the progression through it. Yeah, just um, yeah, because. I- I agree with you because I think that's one of the things I like about the plot is how um, how they use Karen the Doctor to do the world building. So it's all about like Blades introducing her to the world mm. of uh, vampires existing. But I, I like that they also squash a lot of the myths, and then also that Karen's quite a like she's a strong like sidekick almost. So Whistler's is um, is Gordon. Um, 
you know, whatever character would be, um, if you compare it to like Batman. Um, but she Alfred. comes in, what? Alfred. What? Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking of the, the, the other character, but I think Karen's like a, a really good character in this, and that she's um, not only is she like explaining or trying to um, project from like the viewer's point of view um, in order for them to explain situations and terminology and stuff, but she's also like proactively coming up with um, ways to destroy vampires and stuff. So she's not just cannon fodder or or whatnot. Yeah, it's kind of like almost her film for the first 20 minutes, excluding the the amazing nightclub scene I'm sure we'll come to talk about. Well, you mean like from her perspective? Yeah, she's almost Mm. like the main character for the first 20 minutes and Blade is kind of like always in the background, isn't he? I think most of her starting dialogues actually were Whistler rather than actual Blade apart from the other Yeah, he doesn't really have that much to say. And then it's not until he he really uses a a scene where he uses it as like bait Try yeah. and lure out one of the familiars. Yeah. It's not really then until like it kind of like focuses more entirely on Blade. Yeah, and she kind of then takes the yeah, the sidekick role. Agreed. Ice cream man's outside somebody's house. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> that would be mine. <clears throat> Professionalism. Big shout out to ice Big cream man to... and ice cream women. <laughs> <laughs> Big shout out to Mister Whipper. Is that where it is, Mister <laughs> yeah. Whipper? Big shout out. <laughs> So with that little um, interruption from Mr. Whipper, let's move on to talking. Um, should we do scenes or characters? Characters would make sense, I guess, first. Okay, then let's start off with characters. Well, let's talk about Karen, because we've already mentioned her quite a bit. Um, so Karen's world is thrown into turmoil when her ex-boyfriend, who is pressuring her to get back in the relationship by the way this film's about vampires but there's also um, an undertone about you know volatile relationships Curtis. Curtis. he just won't back off will he but also <laughs> he's got an interesting blood sample and then she meets Mr Crispy in the hospital what do you think if if you can remember back to watching this first time which I can't no no. When 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 you see that bit where um, she's getting bitten on the neck and the blood's pouring, would you expect her then to keep playing a key role in the film? No, I think at that point you'd be like, oh, it's just another character that should have been killed off. But then it seems to happen a lot with people. Oh, he's coming back. <laughs> Mr. Whip is back with ice creams. <laughs> He does not care about this podcast at all. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Karen Karen appeared to be just another but then it's the same with a load of other characters, spoiler. Um also Curtis. Um where they, they look like they're gonna uh, they're gonna just be yeah, destroyed and that's it, they're gone. Wiped off the uh, wiped off from the rest of the film. Yeah. But then you get the you get the bit where they introduce for the first time this the role of um Karen reminding Blade of his mother when she's on the floor because he's just about to walk past and leave her and then he, he gets the flashback of his mother's death, which, again, just for reference, he saw when he was a baby, freshly born, literally seconds old. He can remember his mum dying in an hospital bed. Um, then, he's, then he sees Karen and he's like, oh, she looks somewhat like my mum, but not really. 
But like you said, she does actually come to play quite a key part in the film. She's um, based on remember... her, her job role. Yeah, I can't remember yeah. specifically uh, her field of science, but essentially it's hematologist. He's, he's, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's blurred. Yeah, no, I think I quite liked her all the way through the film. She had um, an astounding amount of courage, which I, you know, if I was in her shoes and I was being introduced to all this vampire carnage, I'd have just been shitting myself nonstop from start to finish. But mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, she very quickly adapts to that role as, uh, yeah, vampire killer sidekick. She's even say... happy to. I was going to say, could you say, is she a character beyond the time? You know, you've got a strong female black lead who's um, a scientist, almost. For Do- 1998. Oh, 1998. Yeah, I mean... I can't think Bla- of many other films where... No, Blade's, um, Blade's a great film for for having a widespread of diversity. I know we're going off a bit off topic here, but there's that great scene when um, Frost gets called into Nation of Vampires. And it quite literally is the nation of vampires. There's, ev- there's a vampire from every nation. He's like, he's like, here's the American guy. He's the French guy. He's the guy from China. He's the African vampire. Just the nation of vampires. It, but it's I don't know what vampire. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that was, the white guy lawyer vampire was like, <laughs> was like, these nightclubs are getting out of hand. He's just there, he's just, there just to be reasonable. <laughs> The other ones are there to all speak in this ancient vampire language and be cool, but he's there just for just for business. You could argue that Karen as well has like a similar amount of screen time that Whistler does, so both of them play um, key supporting roles for Blade. Yeah, yeah it's really equal between them, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I think she, you know, she's supposed to be like, at several points. She's the sidekick, and at other points, she's the damsel in distress. But what's good about this film is. She often gets herself out of trouble rather than blade saving her, which I like. I like. Oh yeah, uh, especially I mean, the the yeah. end, the bit when she's thrown in the pit. Yeah. So that's Karen. I guess we mentioned Whistler a few times. What do we all think to Whistler? Yeah, like, like, like Fran says, he's the the Gordon slash Alfred of. Uh... Blade's world. Um, yeah, the system going city by city to to track down and try and halt the uh, halt the vampires. So, yeah, is 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 the father figure to Blade? He's obviously got his own origin story about his family being killed by by a vampire and tortured in front of him. He has a complete lack of um, regard to fire safety. As he starts fueling <laughs> up a car and lighting the smoke, I, I made a note of that because I was literally thinking, like, what in the in the the direction as well? Literally, like, it shows the gas can or the um, putting in the in the fuel, and it's pouring all over the car and just running down the side, and then literally like focusing on the lighter, and it's just like, are you waiting for the explosion? Like, just health and safety gone out the window. But um, yeah, just he's he's a crazy one. Feel like it's a very '90s thing that probably one of the things that won't hold up quite well today. <laughs> what smoking next to your car while you're fueling? No, smoking next to the car whilst fueling. Complete well, disregard for uh, safety. Fueling it indoors as well. I suppose it says, is it meant to say something about his character? 
Yeah, I think it's supposed to show that he that you know. I don't know. Is it supposed to portray that he's manly, that or that he, that he's got no fear? I don't know. Yeah, I think yeah. I think part of it's more about he doesn't really care too much about if he's going to die or not. Hmm. Yeah. True. True. Oh, so he has the. Sorry, Dan. I was just going to move on to sort of how he maintains blade state. He has to actually keep constantly injecting him. Oh, with the serum. With the serum, just to to maintain. Give me some serum. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is it? You know, Whistler. I, I don't. It, one thing they don't give you on the film, which I'm sure is in comic books, is is any any of his history of what his role was before he decided to become a, a vampire hunter, because he's um, an exceptional mechanic, weapon engineer, um, electrician, and then he also somehow developed this serum with the help of the guy who runs the, the like, um, you know, herbal medicine shop. Uh, so he, yeah. Whistler's like all around, it kind of fulfills any anything that Blade needs. But you don't get any context to how he knows how to do any of this stuff. Yeah, I think that is a very comic book type thing, though, isn't it? Yeah, just the magic, the magic person that needs that's needed to fill all the gaps in the plot. Yeah, I think it's quite a hard character to talk about without mentioning Blade as well. Because I have to say, when we come to talk about dialogue, I really like his and Blade's interactions. You just have those like kind of really short lines with one another. Quite blunt. I think it's really like just some of their uh, some of their scenes together. Well, we'll not go too far into them, but let's just tee the 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 best one when he when he passes him that UV torch that he's made and Blade goes, <laughs> "It's still heavy, but you're so big." <laughs> yeah, I loved I wrote, it I wrote ten years one. ago. I love it now. It's a great line. <laughs> All right, then. Uh, what about so just quickly on um, Whistler's um, Indra? Mm. I don't know why. Just thinking about it, it made me think. Ah, oh, that like the handicap of not being able to join Blade, so we can do everything back at like the base, if you like. Um, but the only thing that's like kind of stopping him from actually doing anything is is the fact that he's injured his leg, and um, I'm guessing it takes him a, a while to get places. Well, you say that, but obviously, spoiler alert, it makes it makes quite a quite a uh, explosive appearance later yeah. on in the film. It, it, but how? Yeah, how does he? Did he catch the train? Like, how did he? No, I just assume that. Second car. <laughs> yeah, it's what you guess. Yeah, I mean, it's just not shown. Yeah, but he, he you know, he's pol- he polishes up the leather straps when he's talking to Karen, so he maintains his his uh, knee support harness. I think I can imagine you can get a bit bit of pace on it, but yeah, just. Yeah, I wonder it, if that was like something more explained in the comics, or if it was just another detail in the film to kind of instill that he's he's like stuck at base, and Blade goes out and does all the all the work, and then he comes back and he's the one that kind of yeah fixes everything. Yeah, potentially, potentially. I mean, Blade doesn't need. Um, a partner for for most fights. Um, no, so I think that it does it, it fills that dynamic quite nicely. Before we uh, before we talk about Blade, can we just talk about um, the main villain for 
for a brief moment, Frost. Yep. So, so Frost um, in the film is a character design, um, costumes, appearance is a mix between NSYNC and My Chemical Romance. <laughs> He's got this like vampire look, essentially. Yeah, exactly. Peak nineties vampire look. This guy could be dropped into uh, any boy band slash modern day emo rock band, and he, people won't really bat an eyelid. And yeah, I mean, I, I love his first appearance in the film where you just see him glance past in the nightclub. Yeah, yeah just you get, get the uh, quick nod to it. Quick nod to it, but you don't get you don't get you any. See, um, you see like all the henchmen there, don't you? In, in the the club, everyone's everyone's visible there, but they all manage to make it out. Um, and Blade only actually kills just the the cannon fodder of the room. Yeah, yeah. Pause it on the nightclub scene because we've got we've got some serious amount of discussions to have about that scene. <laughs> so Frost is a he doesn't care if it, about people being pure blood. You know, everybody's equal in Frost's eyes. But he's also um, very intent on becoming uh, the vampire blood god. Is it Lamagra? I think that's the name. Yeah, yeah. I got confused between yeah that and the the vampire bible and yeah all that bit. Yeah, I think he's also got this weird cult of people that his followers, like you said, Fran is is henchmen and henchwomen. Yeah, he's got a small band, doesn't he? I can't quite remember the name of all of them, but um... I can only remember Quinn to be honest. Quinn, yeah. Um, is it the female vampire she ever mentioned by name? No, the blonde one. The blonde one who she's she plays quite a prominent role in in a lot of scenes. But um, is, it, is it Angel or am I just making that up? If you am DB, it could be. Because she wears white all the time. I'm not sure. It could be. It could be because he seems to have like a romantic relationship with her, but he's also got a romantic relationship with big spoiler alert, Blade's mum. <laughs> <laughs> do we think so, he has um, a romantic relationship with the, the head of the vampire council because there's one very weird scene between them two in the library no that's a straight up just hench bro down isn't it and the archive, that's that... being like touching yeah, that, his that... base quite essentially yeah but it... I think there's quite there's... nearly everything these vampires do is sexual the... they do everything with a little bit of a Flirty touch, but I think that scene in library is Frost saying to him, "Look, you might be a, a really old French vampire or whatever you are, but I'm not scared here, and I'll just smash you up." You think he's just going to make him feel awkward? Like, I don't this guy's trying to make a traditionalist. And... Are you trying? Are, tra- are you trying to say that the head of the vampire nation's homophobic? Potentially, potentially. I feel like these are quite old vampires. The, the... Come across like, apart from lawyer vampire, who's very modern. Yeah, I I, I didn't get any undertones of, of homophobia. I thought it was more a testosterone fueled situation. Yeah, I'd, that's it, Sam. Okay. Uh, do you ever wonder why the Vampire Council kind of put up with him? Yeah, I mean that that's one of the question, one of the great questions for the plot isn't it? is why did they just not have him killed earlier? I think one of the favourite bits is where the the yeah. lead vampire if he's in, just slaps him because I feel like he should have just slapped him a long time ago um, you get the great you know you get the great frost line to 
to the head of the vampire council when when he just starts ignoring Frost mid-meeting, starts talking about offshore bank accounts. And then Frost says, All right. one of these days, you're going to wake up and find yourself extinct. And it's... The foreshadowing for the uh, for the sunrise of the yeah. beach. And for the sacrifice of, of the pure bloods later on. In the, the 12 and the rich. Oh, the 12. So that's Frost. So we talk about Blade? I think it's time we talk about the main man himself. Blade. So who do you think called him Blade? Who get him there? I don't know, actually. You see, I've, I've got this as one of my um, kind of things to bring up later on. It's how he's um, known as Blade to everyone. But his, but his mom mentions his name later on. Which is Eric. Eric. Yeah, but yeah, yes, yeah. in a in a proper origin story, there'd be some momentous scene where the name is the name is born. But yeah, yeah, not too sure where that came from. It must be. Um, it must just be because of the tools of the trade. Yeah. Him and Whistler just keeping it simple. Although Whistler's his surname, um, for the for that character, but um, I can't imagine it's Eric Blade. Yeah, and also Whistler found him when he found him when he were a kid. So when he found him when he were a kid and he was feeding off homeless, as as the film tells you. Are we are we led to believe then that Whistler just adopted him and on day one were like Mate Blade. Or did he call him something else for a little bit? Yeah, I think maybe he was just unnamed. And then when he realised um that he'd got all the uh, strengths and Apparently, none of the weaknesses. It was just like what we know is like his purposes. So, blade, blade. Yeah. So he gets his name. He gets his um, sense of guilt for the fact that he was eating people for a few years before he became a vampire hunter with Whistler. And then his motivation's pretty much too bad dimensional. And it's all about kill as many vampires as possible all the time to get revenge um, for his for the being born the way he is and for avenging his brother who's dead in his eyes. Surprise. She's not dead. Must be incredibly cool. Yeah, and that, I guess that's one of the other things, isn't it? Rewatching this, <laughs> I didn't realise how sassy he is. He does a lot of things where he's, you know, he's particularly sassy. And then he, like, there's a great moment when he's in the car with Karen. And um, she says, who's stupid enough to come back to the car after he's uh, tried to kill the familiar? And then he's like, <laughs> you know, once you know how these people act, you'll see. And then he comes he comes back and he turns to Karen and he like does this great weird smile. <laughs> almost like the smile of somebody who doesn't know how to smile for a camera. Just a bit too much teeth. And then he like realises what he's doing and he like, oh, closes his mouth back to Cool Blade. I think this is the real question is can you mention Blaine without <laughs> mentioning Wesley Snipes and, and do you think do you think Wesley Snipes brought a lot of the yes the physicality to the character like I want to know if like a lot of the stuff was improvised by Wesley or whether it was like actually in the script so like that fist bump the fist bump the smirks and all the stuff 
what with the guy providing no the when, when he impales Quinn to the wall and he there does he like goes. a little fist bump yeah like a oh, how it's done yeah he celebrates doesn't he, he, has how, his he own. how he actually does the fist bump it's just so well done because it shouldn't be taken seriously it shouldn't work but it does doesn't it make you think of like a video game character that's what you'd it's almost like because he's playing the the character it's almost he just almost breaking that fourth wall oh. I think in that bit it's it's just when I was when I was watching it I was just thinking oh um, it's strange that he does that because he's not celebrating in front of anybody else it's just a, a self but I wonder if you but... guys are thinking about it too much you know is it Wesley Snipes was it in script is, is it is it um, a signal towards video games I just think that Blade didn't have a childhood he's almost um, an adult that's not gone through the correct mental development to become one. So he's still a child at heart. <laughs> and, you know, what do kids do when they staple people to walls with silver stakes? You know? Yeah. Get a little celebration. That It does a lot of things that are yeah, they're, they're almost childish at times. Like you said, Ben, it, shouldn't, it should not be serious in that situation of what he's just done. Is there also an element, though, of it being just too dark, too graphic for the time? Because um, bearing in mind, this is like one of the, I'm going to say one of the first comic book movies, but one of the first like Marvel ones, um, whereby maybe First Pass was like, right, it's just too dark. He's just too flat of a character. So in order to inject some personality and um, some comedy, he's just got those timings down to an absolute T just to show that his character's got a bit more depth. I wouldn't say that's a darkness thing, though. I'd say that's more of like his humanity showing through which is kind of like the central conflict of his character is this like I'm a human or mm. vampire when really that, that fist bump he does is probably the most human thing he does like an entire film these little quirks he has yeah it's true, it's true but then I just, I just think like how much of that is Wesley Snipes and how, or how much of it is the script could all be I don't know did Blade ever do any tax dodging <laughs> <laughs> I imagine, I imagine the entire film. I imagine West. That's yeah. what Whistler yeah. taught him. He does sell stolen watches. He ain't paying tax on them. No way that car's insured. Really <laughs> no. No. True. <laughs> I guess if, if we talk about Blade in terms of combat, one of the things that bugs me about Blade is, is um, the inconsistencies of how many vampires he can fight at once. It, it, it does seem to depending on when the film requires it, be able to fight 50 at once through to two, maybe even one at a time. Yeah, there's one point where he just had like a, a ream of different weapons available to him. Like he started off with, it might have been the blade and then it worked its way up to the shotgun and then out came that Uzi or, or automatic pistol that just had endless bullets in. So yeah, he's got a, a vast range of weapons, but yeah, sort of. Seems to fit whatever scene, whatever's required for the scene. But yeah, that's kind of uh, some something else that'd be carried into future comic book films. You could say. True. Blade, Blade True. started it all. Yeah. Blade started the film. Just laid the path. All right then. Before we um, carry on talking about Blade, I think we should probably we should probably switch and um, start talking about some of our favourite scenes because inevitably they will include the. The big man blade. All right. 
the nightclub scene. That's my favourite. Um, I'd like to just dissect a few points about the opening to the nightclub scene, which blow my mind. So we've got this um, innocent, slightly annoying male guy who's on a date with um, this lady that we assume he's met earlier in the evening. And she uh, takes him for a surprise. And he goes, I like surprises, which I hate him already, but got to feel bad for him because... He lacks the common sense of any normal person because as they're walking through the abattoir, because she takes it to an abattoir that you know where they butcher cows. All good walking... surprises come from a, an abattoir, yeah. Yeah, all good surprises start with an abattoir. <laughs> he actually sees human bodies go past on a rag, and he's like, "What's going on in here?" <laughs> and as, you know, as if enough alarm bells aren't ringing already, they get to this strange door. Where this guy shouts over something in in a language that uneducated probably sounds, you know, Eastern European, maybe maybe Russian, maybe hints of of a of a language similar to that. Yeah, I was watching with uh, subtitles on. It's dead Slavic language. There you go. There you go. So you know, she then replies in that language and starts kissing him. But at my point, if I was that guy, I'd be thinking, okay. Bodies in a freezer, you know, potentially Russian language. Am I am I about to enter, you know, some kind of hidden mafia den or something? Because <laughs> that's what it seems like, doesn't it? This this thing, all those things would make you think this is some kind of crime crime building, <laughs> some kind of place where where criminals are hanging out because you know they've got bodies hung up on hooks. But you know, he's he's led by his dick, not his brain. He's all about that Euro pop that's uh, about to kick in, though. That's what he's come for. Oh, he's waiting yeah. for that drop. That's right. And as door opens, <laughs> all his fears of being hung up on a meat hook and being murdered by the mafia disappear because it's a good old-fashioned rave. <laughs> so there's the there's the rave kicking off. You get you get to see her drift away because she's off to go and see blonde the blonde lady. Um, but you get those cool shots, you get Frost just passing him by. Frost looks at him like he's a piece of shit. Um, and then you also get to see Quinn getting his hillbilly blowjob. Quinn's just sat there in a cowboy hat, getting a blowjob, but kissing a different woman at the same time. And then what's cool about that is if you look just to his side, there's, just, there's, there's another there. guy. <laughs> like drinking, smoking, just just enjoying nightclub, just ignoring the fact that this, you know, overtly sexual acts act just happening bang next to him. But then again, as a spoiler alert, these are all vampires. Anything goes. You guys missed the. Um, what about the the line before he gets to the club, where they're in the car and she says something like, "What you got down there, little man?" And he goes, um, "That's my heat seeker." And then she's, "Oh, I bet it is." <laughs> I don't know if you know what this character's listed as in the film. Yeah, go on, Ben. Heat seeking Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> Which I feel like explains his character of why he went into that nightclub. I feel like that's it. That's that's like motivation said, right there. That's yeah. his uh... <laughs> he's, he's steered completely by his dick. And not by not by his brain. 
What about did um did any pick up? You've got the they've got the DJ running the show. What what does he have on his banner behind him? Oh, bloodbath. Bloodbath. Great. Mm-hmm. What a great piece of stable because obviously it's all Some more off. foreshadowing. More foreshadowing because the music builds and then obviously all hands go into the air and the sprinklers start spraying blood. And uh, the vampire's scene. just going to... It is a great scene, because be... I mean, it is, to be honest. I think, it, I think it's just quality. They're all kicking him in, punching him, just <laughs> just like a okay, stupid human. Like, and Can then... you imagine, like, back in night, is listening to or watching it with that music on top. It must have been just crazy. It must have been a, a good a good time. Oh, yeah, just getting amped. Just getting amped. Just thinking about kicking humans and you know, really getting into it. And then just just that awesome shot when he's crawling and then boom, the, the blood boots. flow stops. Yeah, the music stops and you've just got them crisp, matte black boots. <laughs> I'm not even being sarcastic. Why are you laughing? That is absolutely... Oh, it's just it's a great interesting character. Right? Yeah. I don't know if anyone else had this, but when I was younger, I remember that being pretty scary. That bit oh, when the yeah. blood starts going. Like when, when I was younger, but I remember like all that fear just going as soon as he sees those boots. Yeah, because all vampires, they, they, they have that great sound effect where they kind of like do a low growl from the throat. And as they're beating him up and kicking him around, they're all like doing that growl at him. And I remember, yeah, same, but I remember it being like quite a, quite a fearful thing to watch when you're a kid. Um, obviously, this film wasn't intended to kid for kids, but whatever. He's an 18, yeah. Yeah. And then, like, I can't say, believe that they're all hissing, but the, no one's actually doing anything. They're just kind of shoving him around, like, just, yeah, just playing, playing with their food. Nothing has to the blood in there. Yeah. Yeah, essentially, they're, they're very similar to house cats. <laughs> they just want to play with, like, a mouse that they found in field. But. In this situation, it's um, heat seeking Dennis, <laughs> and then you get that great shot of Blade just stood there, and like all the vampires are coming out from behind him, but they're all sticking to walls because none of them want to get close to him. And you're getting all the all the murmurs of Daywalker, Daywalker, and uh, Blade's wearing like his ridiculously long leather trench coat, and it's just. That beautiful tense moment, and then it's broke, broke by that first vampire. I can't even remember what he says. He says something like "Come on, Daywalker," and then boom, first shot <laughs> around goes up and just splats him straight away. Yes, well, we see the the first time where, um, like, how they handle um, vampires exploding and the, the visual effects, which yeah. I still think hold up all right for the most I part. Think- I think that is probably one of the one of the only pieces of CGI that does, like you say, yeah, how it's okay for it. Yeah, it, how it they just, kind of cremate and come, they turn into like ash. Yeah, I remember a Blade Two, um, like really expanding on that whole firework, sparking um, design that they did. But um, yeah, there's a few bits that you can see haven't aged so well. But um, in terms of, like the effect um, of them, like charring over and then breaking down into dusters. Yeah, it's still pretty good. Yeah, because... Um, I can imagine back in the 90s, that being like absolutely amazing. Oh, definitely. Definitely. 
and you know it gets used to full effect in this nightclub scene because he just goes to town, doesn't he? He does um shotguns the first first guy, then the second. He does a bit of hand hand combat, but the the one thing that I still question what he were doing, and this is what you know I'd like your guys' opinions on the um, the main redhead vampire woman who brought the human to the nightclub. <laughs> so she gets um she says you know I'm gonna rip your fucking head off, and he like boom backhands her like get out of the way. But then she comes back, and he rifle butts her in the vagina. That is my take on it. He like goes boom low blow with handle, and then he shotguns her. In the chin, through top of her head. Tell me, I'm wrong. If, if that's she's, what is she's done, close to distance, aren't she? She's, you know, it's, options are limited at that point. But she looks <laughs> to be enjoying it. It looks like it's a moment where she's just going to bite his face off. No, because he hits her and she goes, it like hisses. But the, the strike of the blow is in her crotch. Yeah, maybe I'll give it that. But, Maybe I'm wrong, but it feels very much like it was a vagina punch, <laughs> um, and then a shotgun fruit chin. Effective though, it was effective. Yeah, I mean everything is as effective, even when he throws his shotgun just at that guy's legs, just to <laughs> knock his legs off. The I thing like is, it. that shotgun's uh, Go still got ammo in it. <laughs> As you find out later on. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's in, there's no reason to throw it. Yeah, I thought oh, he must have like, yeah, used it all, and that's why he'd used it as um, a melee weapon. But then, yeah, later on, because I thought when he he was facing him, um, so we're skipping ahead a little bit. But I was thinking, oh, he's going to be out of rounds, and then he's going to do like another funny, quirky thing where he bats him around head or something and uses something else instead. But it never comes to that because there's another round. Well, it's like uh, like Dan was saying, this the the the, uh, the nightclub scenes, the introduction to all his weaponry. Oh yeah, yeah. You see everything. He's got that he spinning or like those spinning throwing knife slash blades yeah. as well. Yeah. He's got the boomerang thing, and then you get you get the bit where um, all the vampires running with like AKs and Uzis, and he gets his machine pistol out and it just lights a few up. He could have used that. He could have used that as his first weapon. <laughs> And killed lots of vampires, but you know, I think he was going for it. yeah, it's all about the theater and effect. Um, that yeah. the shock provides at the beginning. Do we see the um, uh, we don't see the cable though that he brings out later on, though, do we? Uh, at the beginning, no, the, the cable's only ever used once, um, for, for one kill in the film. Well, it's to yeah, subdue you, him you the... and then also used to remove another head. That's a popular uh, killing method yes. in this, in this film. But in the in the nightclub scene, you get shotgun, then you get Uzi pistol, and then you get Quinn walks in with um, you know the main honcho henchman, and he goes, "We're gonna fuck you up, Daywalker. <laughs> We're gonna make you hurt bad." And these guys all come at him with like crowbars, oh. and Blade just takes his sword out, and he's just like, yeah, "Well, here we go." Wives. <laughs> There's at least four of those guys with guns in the background. Yeah, that's like <laughs> four guys with Uzis. But they come later on for the boomerang yeah. thing that Dan mentioned. You know, he throws the boomerang disc thing in that circular shower room, <laughs> that yeah. that meat abattoir blood draining room, yeah. and he just throws it to take all the heads off. I think it makes sense because oh, no, you know, they're vampires. They've got they've got crowbars, super strength. They probably think, oh, we can handle this. It's like six it's of us. One guy versus yeah, yeah for a full armor. Looking him to death. <laughs> the way he's going to be as all. 
Oh yeah, definitely. And then obviously Quinn. Quinn's just Quinn's deluded, isn't he? He's deluded all the way through film that he thinks he can beat Blade. Yeah. And obviously after all those guys get boomerang get heads chopped off and he's sorted all crowbar guys to pieces. Um he just gets his shotgun and just that awesome bit when he just presses it to Quinn. And like you say, you think, what's he gonna do here? And then boom, projectile, silver stick, pins him to the wall. It's a good shot. It's just a magnificent scene, and, you, and that's when you get that that first bit of um, Blade's dialogue. That you know, awesome line where he's like, Quinn, I'm tired of chopping you up. I thought I might try five for a change. <laughs> just lights him up. How can you, I mean, how can you not love this film from that scene? Once, you, once, you, once you're locked into that scene, it, it has me bought in. How, really 100%. Like the, uh, how did the... Uh... Oh, sorry, Dan. I was just gonna say I, I really like the uh, the policeman and fireman that walk in at the end of this scene because they seem proper casual for what they presumably just walked oh. through is just a room full of blood <laughs> to find. This is what <laughs> I was gonna say about. Yeah, go on. How um how is it that they knew they needed a fireman like? <laughs> uh, and it, it, just I mean uh, that's a fair point about the fireman. It's because any and this, but, it's yeah. so casual to a point where a police officer almost pauses, looks at the situation, assesses it. It takes them a good thirty seconds put him out and it's like the fireman's like yeah. has to wait for that instruction in order to extinguish the, the body that's on fire well, no, these are fair, familiars yeah later on yeah it's going to say they're they're part of this underground aren't they so yeah chances are yeah, he's a, yeah. these are familiars the, the vampires control everything you've got to remember they're everywhere it's quite but a really surely... nice shot in that bit where he's seeking Dennis the survivor covered <laughs> in blood it's just like in um a circle of light. Oh yeah. Where you see the police come in. And he's in there. So that could be a reference to it. I never thought about that before, but you know, he's the only like innocent character there. Don't you feel as well the police could be familiar? The circular nature of that room and the fact that he's isn't he like kneeling kneeling down similar to Frost at the end when he's waiting for the blood drip from the light? It's almost like that scene looks exactly the same as the end. Yeah. A little bit, but Frost doesn't kneel and he stood up in it. Oh, he when stood? he catches a big blob on his head. Oh, slightly different. So, so nightclub, nightclub has my vote for best scene. It's, it's good. It is I've, very good. But there, I think there's a couple of other ones that I thought were really good. You go, Brandon, because I, I can't argue against the, uh, the nightclub scene unless you can uh, twist my arm otherwise. I'm just looking through my notes now, so I've got... Um... Uh, oh, okay, the record keeper scene. Um, so I like this one because it was the introduction to a character that I think is called Pearl, the the big blob. That's correct. Yes. Yeah, so, um, no, so I, I didn't like this. I just thought that was really good because it had. I was just going through a checklist of stuff, but um, it had all the classic martial arts, and I didn't realise how um, overly emphasised the punches and kicks were until this scene. So even the nightclub scene where there's a bit of hand to hand, it's not um, like emphasised until you get to the record keeper scene, where he's fighting and um, he's, he's well, basically he's getting kicked about by that kid. So there's an, a karate kid element, um, which I thought was quite cool because you kind of get the the vampires really quick. So um, Blade tells Karen to shush as they're um, uncovering all the the pages hung up in the glass, um, and it's a kid and he thinks, oh, it's a it's a kid in in distress and needs rescuing. Until he realizes that she's she's actually um, a black belt in in karate, 
Um, yeah. And I think there's like there's loads of good bits to that. Um, but I just think that character, the whole Karen willing to kind of like destroy him with the UV light and then lead into the train scene, the fact that Blade gets caught um, and then is is captured by like the cable, so he's got that round his neck, and um, it's Quinn's moment of revenge, uh, being able to stake him, but doesn't quite get to finish it. I think there's there's a few problems with that. I think if you split, you need to split it into two. There's the interaction with Pearl, which has some good bits and some terrible bits. For one, how many calories are in blood? Because Pearl is absolutely ginormous. True. The only the only note I've written here for Pearl was Biscuit Boy. Is that what they call her? Or what, yeah, that, that's why? what Blade. That's, yeah. that's what Blade's doing. <laughs> Him. It's a it's a male. Him. It's a male character. Yeah. 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 Biscuit Boy. And um. Well, I, I like the bit when Karen switches the lamp on the second time and fries him, and then Blade looks at her <laughs> and she goes, "What? He moved." And that's like, and then getting a little bit of a sassy Blade face. Yeah. I agree with I, I I agree with you on face value. I like the bit where he finds the kid. What doesn't add up is that earlier on in the film, he's like, "I was at the Japanese club," and he says, "Yeah, the doorman." The whore on the corner, they're all vampires. She's like, oh, how do you know? And he's like, the way they smell, the way they move. But yeah, he sees his little kid oh, and she's he got... has no idea yeah. that she's a vampire. Yeah, true. But it still sets up pretty but... good because it, it catches him off guard. Um, and then all the rest of the, the team come in and he's able to be captured. But um, yeah, just what I liked about this one, though, is again, it kind of touches on the shower scene where you see more of his tools in action. So you've already established that the by touching the blade and if you're not, um, if you're not obviously Blade himself, um, you've not switched it off. It rotates, and then um, the the smaller blades uh, protract from the handle. So you get to see that actually in action, and another limb um, get destroyed by one of the henchmen. Um, and I just think the the banter between him and Quinn, so just the exchanges about their previous scene again, and that coming full circle. And then obviously, yeah. then you've got Whistler coming in, so. Him being able to get on the scene, he's been listening in the whole time. Um, the three of them come back together. I just thought it was a, it was a good one. I did like those bits. I didn't like Pearl. That just seemed a bit out of place. Oh yeah, kind of. Yeah, I'm not a fan of the character, well, but I just like yeah. what that set up. So the the, yeah. the scene after it's so mainly just in the scene where Wesley Snipe gets captured for like I can't remember how many times he did. And I'm assuming. I'm assuming Pearl might be. Sorry, Dan. I'm, I'm assuming. Phil might be like a reference to a comic book character, potentially. Yeah. So the second scene, that if I if I can um, just mention, which was my favourite scene because this is the one that I remember when um, when being uh, younger. And in fact, I think I actually bought Blade on is it UMD for the PlayStation PSP. <laughs> I don't know if anyone remembers it, but it was the like tiny disc yeah, the films came out on like mini discs to be played on PlayStation. I think I bought Blade, um, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and something else randomly before I ended up getting rid of it. But I'll always remember Blade for the scene. Um, and I tend to think there's about a lot of like, action films that are predominantly set at night. But it's the daytime scenes that I just think are more interesting. So the way that the... Um, uh, what are we talking about? Frost and Blade meet in uh, Chinatown. And he's got the kid oh, yeah, as a hostage. Yeah. And I just think, oh, that's, that's just a good a, scene. 
it's just a really good exchange between the yeah. two. The fact that all the elements are against um, Frost with the daylight, but he's obviously, as it's shown you previously in the film, he's able to put makeup on and sunscreen, and it, it doesn't affect him um, as quickly being a half breed or something. Um, but just the slow motion element, because I think that's the only time it's used. Yeah, that's what I was trying to figure out, like date wise versus Matrix, because yeah, it's a bit of bit of bullet time. In that, bit of bullet it? time. It's not as well done, but it's still like super effective. But it's just the daylight and the fact that they're out in the streets. There's pedestrians, the interactions. Um, yeah, just I just thought that was a really good um, scene for setting. All blades dialogue. All blades dialogue in that scene's great. Your mascara is running. Like, oh, oh, yeah. Loves his loves his makeup, <laughs> and then you know, you know. Just like you said, nothing but cattle. It's like, oh, oh, Blade, you smooth. And then actually, the double it bluff. It, <laughs> like it. The double bluff. It, it does care. He does care. He saves it, but then he's like, get home. So, yeah, there's the right, two favourites. There's also another they are two, they, get on to that. They are, two, they are two great scenes. And obviously, just going back to your archive scene, obviously, you get one of Whistler's best lines when he blows football and then he says, catch you fuckers at a bad time. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> That's a great scene. Um, what, what annoys me about the archive scene, just before we go to you, Ben, for your favourite scene, um, what annoys me about the archive scene is um, it, it almost seems like all the henchmen are oriental, which I know they've just come through like this Japanese-style club. Yeah, it is, yeah. But but all the guys that know karate and kung fu really well are all Asian. <laughs> it does seem a little bit, stereoty- bit stereotyping. Apart from, like you said, the young, the young black girl who was a... Uh, I was obviously really good at kicking, but just but it does seem like all oh, the henchmen change race just to suit the combat style, the the location. But what was with the dubbing of the sound? I just didn't notice it as bad as it is there in the rest of the film. Just the 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 punches and the kicks are just it's ridiculous. It's proper like comedy, um, comedy level. There. Yeah, it's like a all the slaps and everything. But then throughout the rest of the film. It's it's like it just goes back to kind of just a more I don't know like standard for for an action flick. It's, it's a weird See, one. I know it still sounds all the way through, and I think that's just a nineties thing. Yeah, it's definitely. Yeah, just nineties action. Yeah. I think that's a nineties action because that's when you start Probably. really getting into the classic. Um, oh, that's classic. Some of the classic karate films came yeah. earlier, yeah, like yeah. Bloodsport and yeah. Kickboxer. I guess well, I just think that's a nineties thing rather than a. I mean, it's quite prominent in Ends of Dragon, isn't it? That, that's, that same thing. Yeah, that's yeah. what got me thinking. Like, it, it, it's literally like the same sound design as as End of the Dragon, just more violent. True. Yeah, true. Ben, is there any other favourite scenes? Um, well, I think I'll bring up some honourable mentions. I like the. Um, I like uh, Frost meeting the Vampire Council. Just because I think that kind of set the precedent for all future Vampire Council films, oh, <laughs> films that have involved the Vampire Council from there on. Like, I mean, well, you mean that's basically like the world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just it seems to just set the precedent, doesn't it? Even films like um, the teen vampire films, like Twilight. Yeah, yeah. Even that we've. Yeah, there's always got to be some non-American head of the Vampire Council. Yeah, it's, Vamp- it's, it's always, always Vampires always, yeah, always start in Europe. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. Um, that and um, that and the, when they brought up the, um, they started talking about like the figures and stuff, like the offshore accounts. I got a really, I got like a the boys vibe from that, where they're they're talking about merchandising in like the the big council room. So oh, I, I, just, I, I, I just thought that scene's held up well to a kind of like modern day. Still relevant, isn't it? Yeah, comic counterparts. Money, cash rules everything around us. Yeah, it's like money's still the key, even if you're a vampire. Yeah, the business. I, 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 I like the scene where he beats up the um, familiar cop Krieger in the the main female's <laughs> apartment and just completely destroys her apartment for no reason. <laughs> is there when is there Karen's like, like, is there any need for that? <laughs> he just smashes like every piece of furniture. Um, and then I love, I love following on from that to go out into the street. He just doesn't care about hiding blade. He's just walking around with um, swords sticking out his back. Yeah. And the fact that he's attacking you know, a police officer as well. I got a very like um, kind of Kill Bill vibe from that. Where Kill Bill did the same thing where it just ignored. Yeah, I guess in, is that because um, most of those people were she walked around vampires with themselves or something? No, no, I mean, this is in pure daylight. This yeah, is one of those pure but, daylight scenes, like friend said. Well, I- and then, I, think I, 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 I just think them. it's quirky. I just think it's. I just think it's funny and works, and it's just so different from. Because the rest of the film is set mostly at night. Like it's just, yeah. I think, like you said, those daytime scenes just break it up and make it a bit more interesting. Then, because you're you're actually focusing on Blade's daytime ability. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ultimately, though, the nightclub scene I think is the best one. And the one I yep. always remember from watching it when I was young. Yeah, yeah, thinking back from, I think when I must have originally watched it, it was the nightclub scene, the final scene, and then the scene on the beach at, at dawn. Like oh, the ones yeah. that I could remember. I think, definitely... the, I think the other scene I like as well is where Karen wakes up for the first time after she's been bit, and then she sees, she's kind of like sneaking through and then over oversees Whistler injecting them um, blade with a serum yeah just, just their whole I dialogue agree. i think that's really good i just really like their dialogue yeah. between them two i think they have I think they had yeah. good chemistry that's one of the best dialogues um when she says um i can't remember what line is it's something like you know what you just expect me to think believe vampires are real something and then blade just says you've already met mr crispy at the hospital <laughs> what do you think it's just like yeah, you, you literally had somebody chewing on your neck <laughs> who, who was a momentarily a corpse before that happened. Talking of scenes that you remember from um, um, oh, like watching it a second time, I thought the scene where um, Karen drops into that cavern, um, or into the tomb rather, and, and Curtis is there, I completely forgot about that. But then it almost like jogged my memory of being a kid and thinking there weren't many other elements that I thought were scary, but for some reason that one... Because when I was trying to put the pieces like together and be like, "Oh, who is this character?" Um, and then realizing it's Curtis, and then he's saying the same thing, um, almost like a zombie. He's like, he's he's almost changed from being a a vampire, and it's just got to me. It just had like the the full horror vibe. Yeah, yeah. that's great when he's like, "Carrot, carrot." Yeah, it just. <laughs> I don't know about. I can't, Do you ever have second thoughts about us? It, it reminded <laughs> me of it. It's just some other horror. Um, Twilight, or it just some weird Evil Dead, maybe possibly, yeah. Just yeah, like I think it's like an Evil, evil Dead kind of feel. Yeah. I think it has that thing as well that that ultimate fear because 
sure she beats him with burn or whatever, but it's that bit when she's climbing up the tunnel. And everybody, you can deny it all you want, but I think everybody's got a fear of somebody getting hold of your feet. Oh, yeah. So when she's climbing that tunnel, all I'm thinking in. is, get, get, yeah, get your feet up, get your feet up, <laughs> get your feet up, you know, climb faster, faster, faster. But again, the classic horror element. I don't think it's really like present in the rest of the film. The rest of it's like an action film with vampires and yeah, there's some gore and limbs and heads exploding and jokes and stuff, but I think it's only that one little bit just in that really small claustrophobic section where it just yeah, it just touches on other stuff that um yeah, that's just a bit more um a bit more scary, I guess, when you were younger as well. Like Yeah. Yeah, I I, yeah. I remember that being scary. When I was younger, although when I watched it now, it was completely different to what I remember. I just like the fact that I it's... don't know why, because I, I thought there were like loads of them down there. I don't remember it just being him. Yeah, and it's so weird that it is him. Know. They're still keeping him. And again, it, it comes back to right at the I, beginning. I, I where... don't remember him talking as well. I like when I was younger. <laughs> yeah, literally, don't remember him ever saying any dialogue. I just thought he was like kind of more feral. But it's it's that link. But then it is a lot creepier beginning. when he's yeah, when he's just repeating the same lines. Yeah. A bit more, a bit in keeping with what you'd expect from like um, Dawn of the Dead, zombie, zombie stuff. Well, that's what they say, don't they? Quinn and, and Frost are talking that way, and they say, you know, um, they're talking to Karen and they're saying, you know, some people don't quite turn, they almost become like zombies, and they kind of give you that little hint that he's, yeah, I missed that. He's not, he's, he's not quite a vampire, he's, he's gone, he's not regenerating properly. That's a great scene. Um, I think uh, another good scene, but it also has some problems, is the hospital scene with Karen. So, she's, you know, there's that epic moment where Quinn's on her neck, biting her, there's all the panic, and then suddenly it slows down and you see the silhouette of Blade. And then he comes forward and he just punches Quinn straight off her. And, you know, I've come to finish you off. It's just like, oh, yeah, here we go. But what I don't like about that scene is... Um, the cops shoot Blade on his bulletproof vest. And he goes, are you out of your damn man? Like, <laughs> no headshots either. Like, just just all... It's, like, it's out of character, isn't it? <laughs> but yeah, it's completely out of character. Yeah, yeah. That, that feels like it were like a bit of a... <laughs> Wesley Snipes um, just added it. <laughs> yeah, like Wesley Snipes comedy kind of thing. And yeah, and like, but also with the cops, like the cops just pull guns straight away. I know, I know Quinn was biting people's necks. And making people believe, but they were just straight up ready to shoot Blade. <laughs> oh yeah, like no problem. I mean, when he grabs her and he's running with her to the window, and they're just all shooting. Like she's she's a hostage. What? what yeah. <laughs> she could still be alive. Just firing everywhere. <laughs> they got as much chance of hitting her as the other Blade. He properly locked oh, yeah. her out of that window as well. It's a good throw though. He throws her, throws her out of the window. He does the super. <laughs> he does the superhero jump, superhero yeah. landing. You know that Deadpool always play on that superhero landing. Like Blade was doing it back in nineteen ninety eight. <laughs> but what what kills me about that Shut bit up. is all the cops are shooting, like bang 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 bang, just shooting from one rooftop to from that window down to that rooftop. Like we don't care, let's just kill him full of bullets. <laughs> and then a cop just appears in window with a foul. He's got a full size foul rifle, and he's like, doo, 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 doo. And he's like, whoa, hang on a second, did he have that in hospital? Like there, there's no, there were no time for SWAT together. That guy just straight up. Had a rifle in a hospital. It just, it's just because the the plot required it, or a bit like Blade. They've just everyone's just got a full arsenal, just ready for to be prepared for every scenario. I mean, the the city is at war, isn't it? That, that, that's essentially what I'm, <laughs> what I'm feeling. 
Did we get? I mean, the, sorry, I was. I'm just going to say the, the the only other scene that that I that I'd like to bring up is um, obviously the great bit when Blades finished um, drinking blood, and he does the the epic superhero jump lands, and like you said, he pulls out the garrot wire that's built into his um, his bomber his bomber jacket slash um, what do they call them when they've got no arms on them? Gilet. Mm-hmm. Like whoosh, whips it out, cuts Quinn's head off. Quinn's already got his sunglasses on. <laughs> it catches the shades. It's Quinn's line where he comes in with the. Uh, oh, I've got both hands <laughs> back. Which one? Which one I'm going to use to kill you? I got two new hands, <laughs> and I don't know which one to kill you with. <laughs> the head comes off, catches sunglasses, and then no as he line catches shades, m- Music kicks yeah. in. I mean, it even references that scene again in Blade Two. I don't know if you remember. No. Where it has, um, you know, see, well, Ron Pillman's character takes his sunglasses and he's got his sword and he just disarms him and cuts him in two straight away and catches the glasses. <laughs> Which is how good that oh, scene yeah, is good. that it, <laughs> it has to reference it again in the second film. It, it is has a great to bit. Comeback. I also like it what you were fact. saying there after he drinks the blood as well. I like how it mirrors, it mirrors him and Frost together. Oh, they're both doing yeah. the same pose, aren't they? They're both kind of. Yeah, they're both doing the same. Frost has taken the energy and so is his blade. And then obviously you get the great Frost as it just builds into it. And then Blade just goes on his um his kicking spree, just kicking vampires left, right, centre, snapping neck. There's some awesome like acrobatic work. So with the way Blade flips in and out of stuff and then when Frost gets like more energy and stuff, there's some really good exchanges between the two. Um, oh yeah. Because I think in the second one, so Blade Two, that's kind of like, I think there's a lot more like wire work and stuff similar to Blade One, but it's just then it's overdone with CGI. Whereas in this one, I don't think they're able to do very good CGI. So the fact that it's left to being practical and by stunt men or women, um, and then also Wesley Snipes, I think it's just it just adds a uh, another touch to it. Just just really effective in all fight scenes. Well, it's the real yeah, deal. I think you can actually do. Karai. Yeah, I mean, he is, he is the man. No doubt, Wesley Snipes is the man. I think um, what what's strange about that scene is that Frost was almost anticipating a sword fight. It's because he brought it, a spare sword. He mentions it early, doesn't he, about the materials and stuff, um, and then the, the handle destroying that other zombie's hand. No, he wasn't present on that one, was he? Yeah. No, the sword, the sword fight was actually added... After the completion of the film, ah, it's because there was meant to be the blood guard, and then it's because did, the CGI not, couldn't hold up. Yeah, it didn't. Like, audiences didn't like it. Yeah, so it, so they added the sword fight, and I think I, I'm presuming the well, sword fight is just a mirror of the weapon. Is basically the <laughs> the answer to that one. Yeah, yeah, I've got no problem with that. That that's, but that's I do think it works reason. better because it is more practical. Yes. Yeah. What about when Blade finishes cutting up all the vampires before he fights Frost? And he does it in time with music. He goes, and then like music goes, like fades out as well. It's like, blade up, blade, some, blade you smooth. Some nice cutting. And then, uh, I mean, we've all picked favourite scenes and, you know, night, nightclub seems to be the, the majority vote, but if we go on to favourite dialogue, and we've talked about a lot of lines, there's got to be one line in this scene that we're talking about that is undoubtedly 
the line that always sticks in my memory from watching it as a kid, which is Blade throws in all these darts of um, of, of blue liquid that blows up vampires. And obviously Frost starting to like uh, absorbing poison and it just holds up that dart. Some motherfuckers are always trying to ice skate up. <laughs> throws it in air, boots it straight into his head. It's just great. That is a, that's a, it is a very good line. Dis- I mean, I've never heard it before, but it's it seems a great metaphor for life, doesn't it? You know. There's <laughs> <laughs> some half-ass internet research, and basically that line came from um, Wesley Slip. Wesley Snipes was just describing Frost's character in like um, a pre-meet before the film, and he described him as a motherfucker who's trying to ice skate uphill. And then the writer liked it so much he just wrote it in the film. Nice. So technically. That's all Wesley Snipes. <laughs> We're not even bothered right. if that story's true. We are going to make it true. <laughs> Wesley Snipes wrote that line. <laughs> it's kind of like the... It's just one of the all-time great finishing lines, isn't it? Again, it's another another comic book president that he kind of set. See, I like the line that's unspoken. Um, I think I've got this one written down. And it's where Blade yeah. slashes him, <laughs> slashes. The, so the, he takes off the arm, which is a classic um, move throughout the entire film. Loads and loads of arms being slashed off. Um, but then it's when he separates his body in half and Frost, his torso is floating up into the air. And then you see the, um, <laughs> you see the little, the little tomatoes trying to connect uh, his torso to his legs. And he, the camera turns to him, and he's just like, he's just mouthing, "What the fuck." <laughs> but I, yep. but now you see back in the day that would have been like a really cool holy shit blade such a cool moment but now I'm just like I know what you mean what the fuck is going off with those effects like, what it's just I disagree I, I I was I woke up in story I was also like damn what the fuck this guy can regenerate <laughs> again I think it's, I, it's uh, one of those another one of those character quirks where you just I think it's great. One of those like human quirky elements. <laughs> yeah, because it, it doesn't do it. There's there's nothing else throughout the entire film, and then there's just that one bit again, just like another very small but like standout moment that you'd like always remember, especially on like a second viewing. Yeah, I think one of the other bits of light, um, um, picking it up on this viewing is where um, Frost tells Quinn that he wants Blade alive, and then Quinn's just like, "What?" <laughs> complete shock oh, like he's been trying to kill him for years yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because that's the exact reaction that anyone would have yeah. <laughs> just a he's just wiped out reversal. like a nightclub full of air <laughs> oh I mean oh, when we think about it we haven't talked about it what about all the Judgment Day Terminator style bit where he, where he comes in on that motorbike oh like, because you know well, I mean? so Frost is saying he's just one man um, what, uh, what, yeah, there's one guy on foot. That's it. And then next you know, cuts to motorbike. Yeah, so then, I was going to bring yeah. this up, but did anyone notice how much a line of dialogue started the set piece? So that's one of them, where it's like it's one guy on foot. Boom, the motorbike comes in. There's quite a few. I didn't, I didn't write them all down though. But the other one is um, in the nightclub scene. DC mm. King Dennis like says, "Oh, I could do with a drink," and then boom, all the blood starts pouring down. So many set pieces started off with like those kind of lines. Yeah, no, I, I was just thinking on that scene with motorbike that because you have the old you have the motorbike, the shotgun, 
and then you have the bit where the um, <gasps> the familiar guy's laid on the floor and he's like, "I just work for them," and he like and he like aims shotgun and he shoots him. I just I just got like a full T two vibe. <laughs> I'm just thinking about Terminator, like that. That's all because you got the rain and everything. The well, the waterfall and that, shotgun. and the shotgun going through the water. Yeah, and it just kind of it just made me really think that they just took a lot of inspiration from from Terminator. That's true. I, I thought the bit where he, he's taking all the shots to the um, into his vest and stuff was quite Terminator Two in the um, the mall at the beginning. Yeah, just with like almost like the T one thousand absorbing all the rounds, or um, Arnold kind of like just taking all bullets and it just not affecting him, but never a headshot. That's the thing that bugs me. They just never the accuracy is just so poor, so they always aim for for the torso. I think it's like a vampire thing. Yeah, supposed to aim for like the heart. Oh, like yeah, yeah, potentially, potentially. But yeah, so very, very good, still very good. Even second time, well, I can't remember how many times I watched it now. But um, talking about the effects, though, so even though I think the the tomatoes connecting, um, what's it called again? <laughs> connecting Frost back together. I was thinking of his actual name, so Stephen Dorff. Um, yeah, that aside, I still think that the next shot. Um, when he's um, so he's he said about motherfuckers up skating at uh, skating uphill, um, and the fact that he roundhouse kicks the last needle into his face. Um, when he when he does expand from that one, um, and then gets to the point where he's exploding, that still actually looks okay. I'm just gonna yeah, throw it out. I, there. Think, I think it still looks good. No, it does. No, that still looks good. And when he um, darts the first two vampires in the hallway, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they they when they inflate, they actually look pretty good as well. The CGI. I think it helps when Blade's walking off, and you see the explosions. But the explosions are from the correct direction, so you've got an explosion going from bottom to top from the woman, yeah. and then the guy who was leaning against the wall. So the explosion comes left to right. It's yeah, it's because it's all practical. It's it, yeah, that one's quite effective. I thought That's well, the yeah. The flying skeletons are, are not good though. Ah. Uh, but I like the I like the design and the idea that they're breaking out of another skeleton. Um, so not only do they expand and break the the mouth, they also break out of the skull that they're in. But mm-hmm. it just feels like you can tell that's a very cheaply <clears throat> almost passed off to another design house and be like, right, we've got to make all these changes. So just throw all these effects together because we're trying to concentrate on the last explosion being good. So I feel no, like I there's think, a yeah, I think, there's I a think lot that's of just yeah, I think agree, Ben. I think it just uh, it's just yeah. just gone past the time. I don't think it? it's bad. I, don't, I just think, yeah, I just think that's just, showing the test of time. It's just the the concept as well that's just not as strong as the the rest of the film. It just goes say, right, too then. medieval. Well, the let's, vampires let's bring... are medieval. That's, that's the point of vampires. These these are the, meant to be the pure bloods, aren't they? So you're presuming that the never really yeah. says how old they are, but. Uh, mm. I mean, let's not get into the mythology of vampires, but there is all the question about that guy says, you know, I was born a vampire. And it's like, can vampires reproduce? Can they have kids? What is this about? How are you born a vampire? Are you like one of the original vampires? There's a, there's, but it don't need to get into that. It's got Blade and Frost to deal with, and it's got, it's got, that's what we need to, what you need to focus on as a viewer. You don't need to be worrying about Whistler does say about the aging. So if the vampire counts, it just says that they age a lot slower, but he didn't, again, specify 
at what speed. So Blade just continues his life cycle normally like a human would, which is one of the weaknesses. But then, yeah, it does it does allude to the whole vampires being I, I slower. Assume that Blade's, I assume Blade's um, aging a lot slower. No, it says he ages at the same Says he ages. Oh, yeah, he talks about because he explained it to Karen. So I think Karen asked the question. Well, yeah. Blade's garbage then. He's going to be useless in about another <laughs> 34 years. Unless his joints hold up really well and he's like <laughs> 17, 18, he could still kick. Or he has offspring. Well, this is, yeah, this goes back to the question. But let, let, let's let's go back to the main point. You know, this, this was the film to stay up for um, many years ago. When you when you only had those five channels, you you saw this on schedule nine ten p.m. after what do they call it watershed when they used to when, when they allowed swearing on TV. Mm-hmm. This was the film to stay up for. Is it still the film to stay up for? I say yes. I love I love this film as much as I did back it past, and I think the points we've talked about, I think the dialogue, the CGI, the action, I think it all still holds up very well. Predominantly because a lot of it is just live action. It's just the actors kicking and punching. And, uh, yeah, I just loved it all around. I, Should we have a little round the room? Fran, you want to yeah, go? Yeah, sure. I think, it's, um, yeah, I think it's, it's held up really well. Um, I was quite looking forward to watching it again. Um, but even now, watching it more objectively, it's, it's only really the CGI and just a couple of the bits, um, some of the portals that we've discussed. Um, that kind of let it down a little bit, but it's still one of those. I still always look at it with fondness, thinking it's just a cool film all around. The how it, where it's set, it's the characters, the fact that it is dark, but then it's got these little quips of like humor. But then it's it's got tons of style. Um, plus, when you're thinking about, or when I think about the reasons for staying up for it, it is because when I was younger, Wesley Snipes fell into that same bracket of other actors that I thought were good at the time. For instance, Steven Seagal. It just reminds me of those kind of like films that came out from that or that involved that actor and Wesley Snipes being in Blade and it was like every subsequent film um, that followed it. So it was definitely one of those where I'd look at the TV guide and be like, oh my God, Blade's on. I'm definitely staying up to watch that. Yeah, it was an action hero, weren't it? It was part of the you know it, the list of, um, of great actors. Bruce Willis. Um, stars. Steven Seagal. I'm trying to think of other people, but I just... Jean, Jean-Claude oh, Van Damme. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'd say he's more, he's more like Jean-Claude Van Damme and Steven Seagal, in a sense, he can do... It's the martial arts, isn't it, as the well? Martial as the martial arts. The gunplay. Yeah. He... I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger never because... really fights, does he? It's all, all no, 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 no. Because it's, you know, it's the it... best to wear, apart from Rocket. And, and Van, Damme, Van Damme can chuck a kick in jeans, but Wesley can <laughs> chuck a kick in uh, leather trousers. Yeah. So, big shout out. Big shout out to leather trousers. So, all right, Dan, what do you think? Sorry, no, have you finished? No, it's, that's, that's it, yeah. I think, yeah it's, a, it's a good film all around. Uh, yeah, yeah, we- I'd agree. Yeah, definitely one worth saying up for. And I'll admit, I don't quite have the same nostalgia as probably some of you guys have. I don't have too many memories of watching it on multiple occasions. But yeah, like other than those few scenes that I definitely did remember um, going into it. But yeah, watching it again, it's definitely, it's just a, a good all-round action film that there's never really a, a slow moment. There's not too many inconsistencies or or plot holes. And yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed watching it again. So yeah, definitely. Fair play. Ben? Yeah, I mean, 
definitely. I mean, just from that nightclub scene, I just think you have to watch it, don't you? you <laughs> that nightclub scene just sucks you in and, and brings you in. And it's, I mean, it's, it's, is it the granddaddy of comic book films, do you think? Like modern comic book films? It's one of those. I don't think the problem is it. I, I don't think it is. A, I don't treat it as a comic book film, which I'm sure, you know, some people say that as, as blasphemy towards comic books. But I think it's one of those that you just come back I, to. I don't think I, it did at the yeah. time. But now. It's only now, now that you realise it's I got the Marvel name. And I just see how well it holds up and how it's still just a really solid film, isn't it? It's just so cool. Yeah, so cool. I think that I think that's the key point in it, not to sound like a like a bunch of nerds, but it, <laughs> it is incredibly cool. But and, and you know, Blade Blade is awesome. And again, slightly ahead of its time. You know, you got a black lead character, black female lead. Yeah, agreed. Yep. Agreed. Sets a lot of precedent still. I still like um like with the enemy henchmen. I like the two Quinn and it's actually Mercury. I could just looked it up. The woman's got Mercury. Quinn and Mercury is like, I think that's kind of yeah. held up well. It's kind of like, you see that a lot now with like the distinctive. Yeah. So Quinn is the right. blonde? No, Quinn no, is the... Uh, what? The biker. Ooh, what, no, Quinn. what film did you watch? Quinn. Just to be clear, somebody <laughs> um, listening to this. <laughs> Wait, we do not Mercury. endorse Franz bullshit. <laughs> Mercury, sorry, I just got... Just... Yeah, so it's Quinn the blonde. Quinn. Is Quinn the blonde? Ah. Oh. Jesus, I wish I could chop your arms off. That's where I'm at. I wish I had blade sword now. I meant I meant Mercury. Fucking hell. You can't take it back. You've dishonored Quinn. He has we, all we them great scenes. The, the, how shocking Mercury was, like in some of the scenes. Oh well Jesus guys. The, the the whole bit where she just has this weird, strange English accent. Fulfill thy prophecy. She says, like, <laughs> just, uh, just uh, I could not wait for her to get shotgunned. I was like, come on, Karen. It's like she gets worse throughout the film. The more lines that she's given, it just it doesn't get any better. Yeah. It's just she that last one where she says, I'm really going to enjoy this now. And then Karen just destroys her. And it was like, oh, that were it. Yeah. It's just. But no. And she just changes her hairstyle all the way through <laughs> film as well, like pigtails, slick bag. It's like just pick a hairstyle and keep it for a couple of days, because this this only the film only takes place over about a week. <laughs> so chill out. Okay, guys. Well, I guess before we wrap it up, I just want to just bring up one thing. Um, we ne- we didn't talk about Whistler's death. Well, well, it, um, is it? For, well, yeah. foreshadowing that he's not dead. Spoiler, <laughs> Spoiler alert for Blade Two. Um, because you, he was you've such actually a, Blade Two for me now, though. Such a fun character that they had to bring him back somehow. I can't remember how they do that now, but there is a yeah, scene dedicated was, to yeah. Rihanna. He was turned into a vampire, and the vampires were keeping him in a tank of blood, and then they used the cure that Karen created in Blade One to just turn him back to human. Hashtag problem solved. Can we say that's <laughs> one of the things that's aged badly? Yeah. Isn't it a common. But mainly, mainly because of the sequel, rather than the actual thing. Because I really like the actual scene, especially, especially oh. where he tells him to um, first time watching that. Yeah, walk away. He, yeah, he, he says, "Now walk away, you stupid son of a bitch." No, oh, yeah, I guess. Even though Blade has to go back there later on and get that tape and get his gun back, and, but you know, well, <laughs> ignoring all but, that, I just really like like the dialogue. But where he's Blade, there. but Blade doesn't go back there because he has a different gun actually later on. He has a different pistol. 
No, I don't go back for that big for that weird <laughs> pistol that's like um like that's a VHS pistol, tape. His... Yeah, but he has another uh, pistol. Ben, this man is loaded to the hill with them. <laughs> he doesn't need that pistol. But, but, but Plus, what he should have he done might is, have been in the car. It... Yeah, well, why didn't he go back? To get Whistler's body to bury it. This is what I don't well, get. The level of disrespect. Like he didn't cremate him. He didn't want to think about burying. Just, he just left him. It's probably what Whistler which is wanted. And just leave me there. Yeah, because then Whistler. Yeah, but Whistler didn't shoot himself. It turns out, or he did, but he didn't die, and all this. But then, but then that leads onto that other weird scene where you know, Blade <laughs> cuts the roots off that plant. He's he's absolutely just like I am sick of meditating. I'm presuming Metaphors. that's symbolic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I'm not entirely what for. Is well, that like I his homestead? His roots are dead? Is that like... Well, going yeah, all out think, now? Is this all out war? Is this like... Yeah. Oh, I think that's his, his area of peace. It's his area of peace and tranquility. And cutting the roots off it is to symbolise there is no peace anymore. Um, there is no sanctuary. They've taken everything from me. It's all out war time. Even the plants have got to die. Um, that's what we're saying. Yeah. But, you know, again... If it if it wasn't a film, really, it's just a guy cutting some roots off of plants in his bedroom, having a strop in it, <laughs> chucking a proper marder. <laughs> so just um, a couple more things I want to bring up. Do we think coffin beds? I think that's aged well. They seem pretty impractical. Well, it's not a coffin bed. It's almost a super futuristic memory <laughs> foam bed with a lid. Oh, yeah, a, that weird regular. Do you need regular a lid? A, it, it a just lid seems on. a bit awkward. Uh, I, I don't need a lid. I, I, it made me feel claustrophobic just looking at it. I, I ain't sleeping in that. Yeah, there could be all sorts of technical problems and it not open again. You'd be like, damn. Oh, my I God. That is a horror film in itself. <laughs> Can you that imagine power cut? No, we can't get out. No. Yeah. No. I, I'm out. I'm out. Yeah, I think, bed. <laughs> I think you're right. Also, one thing, just going back to like some inconsistencies and crap in the film is, Frost's got this like computer decoding the vampire Bible. Oh. And this guy's like, you know, it's it has never been translated for thousands of years. You wouldn't even understand it. Cut forward, Blade passes, Whistler, a piece of torn Bible and says, I just read it all. Oh, yeah. yeah, what did he says? Oh, it says something about the blood god spirits <laughs> of the twelve. It's like in that little <laughs> he got bit. the exact yeah, he got the exact piece that he needed with all key information and also Whistler speech, ancient vampire. Yeah. So he got the right paragraph from the news article and we're like, guys, decipher that and he's like, Yeah, I have been, you know, I'm seventy or eighty odd year old and I can yeah, I can just read it. It's it's cool, I got it blamed, don't worry about it. So uh, I saw this one as well. Thought that was pretty funny. I had to read up on it. Apparently, there was a whole scene where Blade has to get that translated, and the studio just went, "Nah, Whistler can just speak it," <laughs> <laughs> and they had to write in the script. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I believe the original scene he was getting it translated by some voodoo witches. Um, but, yeah, probably, but probably the entire scene, entire scene was scrapped. And, uh, he could have just got it from Pearl. Well, he does because he gets that. He yeah, gets but that, that doesn't even make sense that Pearl can speak it because Pearl would have just translated no. it, wouldn't it? The whole point of the film is that well, they're trying to translate the entire thing. Yeah, but they translate it using the software and um, then he spe- and then he gets the floppy disk. No, it wasn't a floppy disk, was it? Well, I, it, I know it's not a floppy disk. I'm just, it's I was a, glad to van- see that it was It's a vampire a hard drive. Disk. It's a vampire hard drive, futuristic hard drive that has all the information on, but actually all the information it gives you is a 3D... <laughs> um, 
image of the of the, of the building. Yeah. And then it shows you a bunch of symbols and like do, 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 red dot, <laughs> and then it explodes and the entire screen turns red. That's all it tells you. But yeah, it's, it's just a know. shitty animation of what yeah. might happen. Tem- temple should it, of the should it go CGI. well? Yeah, agreed. And also that temple's in like middle of whatever city they're in. Mm. Close yep. by. Close yeah. by, we presume. <laughs> Maybe yeah. like a two hour drive. Oh, yeah, because they just climb onto a rooftop and it's just like, oh, we're just in yeah, downtown. It, yeah, it just shows you city. I say it just shows you city when they're at roof, yeah. Mm. So but, some excavating. Despite all that, still, still a great film. Still easily rewatchable these days. Um, it's available on Amazon Prime. Currently, if people don't have it on DVD or Blu-ray. Oh, I've got one final uh, point. Sorry, guys. Yeah, I've got one as well. Just just no problem. Just one more. I don't know if anybody else noticed it, but there's two scenes in the film where um, it just highlights how long Stephen Dorff's tongue is. Don't know if you guys picked Uh, up on it, but Jesus Christ. The the blonde woman's sucking the blood off his tongue. It's just like... I mean... What? (laughs) Whoa, it's a it's a long tongue. But didn't know if anybody else spotted that. I think it's in the yeah, the the scene where um he's bitten into the policeman and chucks him into the pool and then they have the the weird kiss. And then there's a scene later on where I don't know what he's doing, but he's just sticking his tongue out again now, just like Damn, that's long. Like what's going on? Yeah, I mean the weird the weird kiss is one of two things that that are weirdly sexual, um, with the vampires like they they've got the thing where they they they're licking the blood off each other's chins and it, but it's supposed to be kind of <laughs> kind of like a, sec, a sexualized yeah. thing. And then 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 the other thing that I picked up on is that Blade's mum is like overly aggressively flirty with her own son, <laughs> and he's like, "Does Blade's mum want to shag her son? Because it is gross." So like, back on up. Yeah, it's weird. Get your lips away from your grown son's lips. It is, it is creepy. <laughs> It's, a, it's just a nice thing. That's what it is. I don't think it's a nice thing. I just think she's some kind of absolute freak. <laughs> but anyway, what did you want to talk about, Ben? Well, we've we've briefly touched on it already, but 1999, year later, Matrix comes out. I almost really think that the director's a Matrix. Just sat down, saw this, and thought, long black cloaks and leather, slow motion gunfighting, karate. Gunplay, not possible. One year, do you think there's a lot of that? Yeah, I just think I I just think it were a popular thing towards back end at night is because there were there were a load of films that just followed. Was it wasn't isn't was it was it not possible? Maybe they rang it out in the same bar, they they work similar studios, people are talking, people are seeing unedited cuts before it comes out. Snipes and and Reeves just having a beer, like just walking off the sets and meeting, sharing leather jackets and sunglasses. Sunglasses, yeah. sunglasses. It's a bit like yeah, when all of it. And you feel Deep like there's going to be some out. kind of. A... It's the same thing. People just must have talked earlier on in production, and but I feel like Matrix took a lot longer to create than Blade. So, yeah. who I, stole? I'm, I'm... Do you think the that? Ideas or do you know that? Yeah. I know it. <laughs> Look, we don't. Just for clarity, and just as a disclaimer. Um, the, none of the amigos on this podcast know anything about anything <laughs> when it comes to who, who influenced what. But we will speculate, and I will back Ben on the speculation. The Matrix copied Blade. Films of amigos exclusive. That is, that, that is an possible. opinion. That's, that's, not that's why I'm looking a different that, way on poster. 
No, 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 look, 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 look. Everything, anything's possible because the world you live in is just a sugarcoat <laughs> topping. There's a real world beneath it, and what's that real plans. world beneath it? It's the Matrix. Blade knew it was the Matrix. I'm just putting it out there. It all links. Conspiracy theories. They are trying to control us. It is all. It is the government at work. Anyway. So, so long story short, Matrix was in production longer, and Blade just copied the style. That's what we say. Fran is speaking with opinions here, guys, that he's passing off as facts. He does not represent the opinions of all amigos. <laughs> he does not represent the opinion of all amigos. Correct. 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 Just get that disclaimer. In. Right. Let's get let's get a little a little uh, goodbye from all the amigos, and we'll wrap this up on the end of this episode. You will hear a brief clip, which will explain the next film and theme that's selected for episode two. But for now, that's a bye from me, Benjamin. Fran. Adios. And Big Dan. See ya. And that's it. Goodbye from us all. And thank you for joining us on our debut episode and hope you enjoyed the discussion. Next time, 100% less Mr. Whippy, 100% more Steven Seagal as we find out what made Under Siege a movie worth staying up for.